We are talking once again with Job Parrish and Maria Tomchik, local writers and activists, here to give us a wrap-up of this past week's news. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, first week of uh, moving back to the half-hour format, for those that didn't hear last week, read about it. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, so starting out with, I was actually surprised that Another local council person, this specific uh, council member, uh, decided not to pursue uh, re-election. Yes, Alex Peterson announced this week that he's not running for re-election in 2023. Um, So all seven district council positions will be up for election, but now only four for Um, re-election. Alex Peterson joins. Maximum of four. Yeah, Alex Peterson joins Lisa Herbold and Deborah Juarez in not running again for his seat. Uh, District 4 is in northeast, northeast Seattle. That's the U District, Wallingford, Ravenna, Wedgwood, Zandpoint, and Laurelhurst. And uh, I want to say that that district deserves somebody who will sit, sit in the seat for longer than a couple of years, I, I have to say, because before Peterson, council member Rob Johnson didn't even last a single term. He used his city council position as a springboard to a better paying job working for the Seattle Kraken. I'm I'm almost certain that's what's going on here. Of course, Peterson was a long-term aide to Tim Burgess, who has found a very cushy career post-city council, and I'm sure Peterson will be part of that crew now, too. Yeah, Burgess is working for Mayor Harrell, as his uh, public safeties are. Peterson may also be in the lineup for a position uh, working for Harold, or or he may have he did make mention of uh, working in private industry, so he probably has a job lined up for uh, one of the local corporations. However, so that, I, I have I have to say that in terms of District Four, be careful what you wish for, because before Rob Johnson, they were stuck with Gene Godden for you know twenty five thousand years. So um, that was yeah, that was pre council district. So. Um, that opens up the question of of who's going to step forward to be the next council president. I I thought for sure Alex Peterson would make a bid for that. Uh, Shama Sawant and Teresa Mosqueda have the most tenure of the remaining council members. Uh, Lewis Strauss and Morales are just finishing out their first terms, and Sarah Nelson, of course, was was uh, just elected for council and is finishing her first year. Now I think Teresa Mosqueda is going to want to remain the budget chair. And taking on the president's seat at the same time could be a really heavy lift, especially since she was a new mom during the pandemic. So that could be hard for her to take on that double role. Andrew Lewis has the ambition, of course, uh, but he really seems to like chairing the Committee on Homelessness. And uh, he likes overseeing the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. That's all the stuff that he said he wanted to work on when he was running for the District 7 council seat. But I also wonder if Dan Strauss would want to give up the land use committee to, uh, uh, because it seems to me that he sits on that, uh, committee and chairs it because, uh, he's keeping the city council from dismantling Seattle's zoning laws, which currently favor single family housing. And that makes up a large percentage of his district in Northwest Seattle. Now, Tammy Morales, on the other hand, can make a great council president. She currently chairs the catch-all committee uh, of neighborhoods, education, civil rights, and culture. So I think she might be the natural choice to uh, to be the next council president. But we'll see. She may 
join the folks who are leaving. I don't know. So far, uh, District 4 has one person running for Peterson's seat. Matthew Mitnick is a graduate student in public policy at the UW, and uh, he's so far running on a platform that focuses on housing justice, which means doing away with exclusionary zoning laws and taking other steps to make housing more affordable, especially for renters in Seattle. He's also a labor activist, and I'm sure we'll hear more about his platform in the coming months. So that's the that's the city council news this week. All right. Moving on to potential uh, top stories here for coming up in oh, yeah. 2023. As I was preparing my year end list uh, the last couple of weeks, I also made a list of some stories that we can expect to see. Uh, some of the big local stories we'll expect to see in 2023. Uh, right at the top of my list is on February 14th, Valentine's Day this year, Seattle residents are going to going to be voting on Initiative 135 to create a new Seattle Housing Authority. That would be a public development authority to, that would build publicly owned affordable housing in Seattle if voters pass it. So that's right at the top of my list. Number two on my list is uh, in addition to having three open seats so far, in the city council races, we'll also have the pleasure of doing ranked choice voting for the first time in the upcoming Seattle primary elections for the new city council for, for new city council positions, as well as having new district maps. So uh, make sure you check your uh, the new district map map to make sure you're still in the same city council district and get ready for ranked choice voting. Yeah, and I. I, I think also, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, that three council members have already said they're not going to run for re-election. It'd be interesting to see if there are any others who decide not to run for re-election. Yeah. And particularly, a lot of people will be watching the decision of Shama Sawant, who's currently the longest tenured city council member, uh, against all odds, I might add, because uh, goodness knows she's faced a lot of establishment opposition uh, for all three of her elections. So, um yeah, well, it'll be an interesting 2023 for the city council for sure. For elections, yeah. Now, the city council is going to have another uh, interesting year this coming year. They'll continue to get reports from the Seattle Police Department and the mayor's office on the 911 call response and their risk management assessment uh, in preparation of eventually implementing a civilian team to handle lower priority 911 calls. Now, the city council has added funding in the budget for that this year. So we'll see if Andrew Lewis and Lisa Herbold can push forward and get the Seattle Police Department and the mayor's office to agree to get a civilian team up and running this year. I am not optimistic about that. Yeah, we'll see. Now, the council will also get reports on the mayor's emphasis patrols and the Seattle Police Department budget. Uh, including the status of its hiring program and its use of overtime. Expect those to be controversial this year, just as they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. And mid-year, the city council will get an update on city tax revenues. If the economy picks up, there could be more money to fund the council's priorities. Some of those priorities include equitable development, affordable housing, renter protections, more money for the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, law enforcement diversion programs like LEAD and CO-LEAD, Green New Deal priorities, etc. And, you know, maybe also implementing more Vision Zero improvements for lower income neighborhoods. That would be transportation improvements like protected bike lanes 
better traffic signals, better sidewalks, et cetera, for southeast Seattle and for the far north end. And of course, Teresa Mosqueda will also be very interested in what the Progressive Revenue Workgroup presents as their recommendations for raising new progressive revenue for the city government. So we may see the city council debate a new tax or fee proposal this year in the coming year. So just like we did uh, a couple years ago with the jumpstart payroll tax. So be prepared for that. And then uh, I have a few things at the state level. Later this month, the Washington State Supreme Court is going to hear arguments for and against the state's new capital gains tax, and they'll eventually this year issue a ruling. In the meantime, the state is going is implementing currently in the process of implementing a new online filing system so that rich folks who owe the tax can file their returns online and pay the tax by April 17th this year. So get ready for that. Or, or they can hire someone that will be able to fill that out for Well, them. yeah, they will hire someone to do that for them, I'm sure. And then also, expect as in terms of the state legislature, we can expect more housing density bills and bills that will streamline rules for affordable housing. Also, keep an eye out for bills that will, will require counties to include affordable housing and uh, streamlining housing regulations in the next in their next updates to the state's comprehensive plan uh, that it's a requirement under the state's growth management act that counties update their uh, comprehensive plans on a reg about every eight years uh, king pierce and snohomish counties will be the first ones to update their comprehensive plans in 2024 so there's going to be a lot of work on that in this year this year and next year and it'll be interesting to see how new state legislation that we might expect to see this year and early next year are going to shape those comprehensive plan updates. And then uh, the Democrats in the Washington state legislature have been studying Oregon's road use tax, which uh, taxes Oregon state residents based on the number of miles that they drive, not on the gallons of gas that they buy and burn. Uh, and we may see a similar bill this year in the Washington state legislature, an effort to replace the state's dwindling gas tax revenue and provide more money for transportation projects, particularly moving the state towards uh, electrifying our transportation infrastructure and um, making sure that we have adequate transit funding throughout the state. So those are things that you'll want to keep an eye on, too. And then uh, finally, the Democrats in the state legislature will also be focused on how to spend the first wave of revenue that rolls in from the new cap and trade program that was established this past year. The cap and trade program is getting underway this year. So I think we can expect bills that will be focused on uh, how to spend the money that the state's going to be collecting in the uh, first auctions for for uh, permits to burn green to uh, emit greenhouse gas emissions, I would expect bills focused on things like electrifying transportation, modernizing the power grid, which is a big stumbling block for this for our state in terms of implementing and building new and using new uh, renewable energy sources like solar and wind farms. We should also be prepared for bills that will streamline the process for siting and uh, permits for building those new solar and wind farms. So those are things 
that uh, will be interesting to see in the state legislature. The legislature has a majority of Democrats in both the House and the Senate. And of course, we have our Democratic governor, Jay Inslee. So uh, expect a lot of work to get done this year. And it's a longer full session. This it's year. a longer full session. They'll also be working on a budget. So, so it should be a lot coming mm-hmm. out. For so it should while. be a lot going on. Yeah. That, that rounds out my list. Yeah. And I would add the city council, of course, actually has an election come November. We'll be talking a lot about that and who's uh, putting money into campaigns and who's uh, who stands for what. All right. So that uh, moves us on to national. Um, <laughs> and uh, It's been quite a, uh, a display this week. A lot of people. uh at least on social media, talking about what is happening and isn't happening there in uh, D.C. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure Maria has some things to say about this, too, so I'll, I'll let her go first. I thought the media coverage was terrible uh, because it lacked historical context and it lacked uh, context about what this means for the future. Um, for starters, historical context, I'll just say this. Um you heard a lot of this hasn't happened in a hundred years. This hasn't happened since before the Civil War. No, this has never happened. The uh, the congressional impasses, the House Representative impasses in 1923 and 1858 were over policy. This was not over policy. This was professional trolls bringing Congress to a standstill, and they're going to do it again and again in the future. Maria. Yeah, um, what I was most concerned about is the significant concessions that uh, Kevin McCarthy made to these trolls, um, in particular, giving more seats on the House Rules Committee to far right Republicans. You know, every bill in the House is going to be heard in the Rules Committee before it can reach the floor of the House for a full vote. So essentially, this gives these guys, the men and women, the ability to stop the House cold in its work, just as they and, did. And I would also add to that that the, the ability to add amendments to budget bills once on the floor, because, of course, you can add poison, poison pill amendments indefinitely, and professional trolls are really good at that kind of thing. So... Good luck passing any budget bills. And that was that was something that was another of McCarthy's concessions. Yeah. Did so, you have more on Kevin oh, McCarthy? Oh, oh, yeah. A lot more. Um, first of all, um, we've seen this before. We've seen this in the last two years in the Senate where the Democrats had a razor thin majority that gave Christian Cinema and Joe Manchin outsized leverage to uh, bring a number of important bills to a standstill. And that is exactly what happened in the Senate. And the fact that the Republicans only have four, um, uh, uh, four seat majority and five they, seat majority and, and they have a number of member members of the, the MAGA wing, the professional troll wing, the performative wing that are not interested in policy particularly, but love to watch their colleagues squirm. Um, this cinema and uh, cinema actually had something that she wanted to accomplish for policy. She wanted corporate uh, taxes to remain low. Uh, Joe Manchin wanted to protect big coal. 
Those were their legislative priorities. These folks do not have legislative priorities. Their priority is getting on Fox News. Um, and so that is going to make uh, negotiating with them on any critical bill much, much more difficult. In particular, um, you know, uh, Congress will have to raise the debt ceiling probably along about September. If it does not, the U.S. defaults on its national debt, the credit ratings go down in the toilet, the markets plunge, and we're in a global depression. Um, that's what most economists think would happen in that scenario. We've narrowly avoided it due to Republican obstructionism uh, for the last several go-rounds, but now with the outsized import that the obstructionists have in the House of Representatives, um, I think that's a near certainty later this year. So, you know, uh, sell your stock now, right? Um, so, I mean, we talked already about some of the promises that, that McCarthy has made to try and win over the votes of, of the uh, obstructionists. Um, actually, seditionists is a better term because, you know, two years out from January 6th, 2021, these were a lot of the people in Congress who actively abetted the uh, attempt to overthrow the United States government. They are not interested in the democratic process. They are opposed to the democratic process. Um, yeah, so, didn't they keep nominating Jim Jordan as uh, speaker and instead of Kevin McCarthy? They, Jordan, they did Jordan in, they being did the indeed. one that the January sixth committee has been has been investigating, and and a, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of rumor that Jordan should be should be charged. Yeah, well, yeah, he should mm-hmm. be. Um, he had. Uh, you know, any number of phone calls, both with Trump and mm-hmm. with um, and with, you know, uh, Oath Keeper and Proud Boy leaders in the in the days leading up to the January 6th uh, insurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he was at the meeting on January 5th. He was at several key previous meetings in which all of this was planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. But I mean, I mentioned the last week in terms of the things that we haven't learned about January 6th. Uh, one of the key ones is um, we don't know the full extent of the cooperation between Republican lawmakers and uh, and the rioters and Trump. You know, how much coordination was there? It looks right now like the whole plan was very, very coordinated at a lot of different levels. Um, but we don't know anything about the congressional uh, cooperation because people like Jordan either took the fifth or ignored subpoenas from their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Department of Justice has a lot more leverage to try and compel these folks to testify and hopefully testify truthfully uh, because not testifying truthfully is a crime also. Um but yeah, Jim Jordan and a lot of the Matt Gates, a lot of these other folks are really culpable. Uh, Lauren Bonert, uh, 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 Marjorie Bobbert. Taylor Greene, Bar- Lauren yeah. Bobbert. Bobbert. I, mm-hmm. I can never remember her name. Andy um, Biggs, Lauren Andy Bobbert. Biggs. Yeah, Paul Gosar, uh, Scott Perry. Bob you know, Good. A lot, yeah, a lot of these people have been. And of course, Matt uh, Gates. Yeah, I, I mentioned him. Um, yeah, and, uh, Scott Perry in particular we know is under active investigation by the DOJ and oh, some of the yeah. other folks probably are too. Um, I, it was, it was amusing watching Perry get up and, 
and talk about uh, how uh, McCarthy was not suitable to be leader. And he was nominating Jim Jordan. Um, so, yeah. Talk about um, not suitable, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, Jordan's history before joining Congress was a as a wrestling coach in Ohio who somehow survived a uh, a, uh, uh, a scandal in which a number of the wrestlers were, um, shall we say, sexually assaulted uh, by coaches. So, um, yeah, he looked the other way for that. So that was what he was known for before joining Congress. Um, these are not good people. They're just not. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the Republicans are the party in the House that have one representative who no one is quite sure even what his name is, much less what his uh, res- what his history and resume in, in, actually are. He's sworn in now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let, let's hope it's by a name that that he can be answerable to. Yeah. And um yeah, at least when he says in the future that he was a former congressman, you know he's not lying about that. Yeah, we'll uh, at least know that about him. So yeah, it's a it's an entire caucus full of uh, uh, you know walking, talking train wrecks, um, and you know a small number of them can bring the proceedings of the House of Representatives to a halt. So if there is a financial crisis, if there is a foreign policy crisis say, a war, um, you know, there's there's any number of possible things. Usually there's one or two crises in a given year that Congress has to respond to. Uh, another pandemic um, or a, a resuscitation of the current pandemic, um, you, you know, uh, XBB.1.5 is continuing to grow across the U.S. Um, and Congress for the next two years is going to have a very, very difficult time responding to that because nothing that the current House of Representatives will pass will be passed by the Senate, let alone signed by Joe Biden, and nothing the Senate passes is going to be signed, uh, it's going to make it through the House intact. So um, we learned about those things. Um, and it's, it's interesting also, we're, we're only a year out from the first presidential primaries. And uh, Donald Trump had another very bad week, as has uh, been his want for the last couple months. Um, but Ron DeSantis had a very, very good week. I, I think it's very likely that we're going to see President DeSantis in 2025. And here's here's his argument for the Republican nomination. You see that mess in Washington, D.C.? I'm an actual governor. I govern. I solve problems. And unlike the former president, I win re-election. Um, that's his argument. And, you know, he um, uh, he will be very, very well positioned to get the Republican nomination. And then if the Republicans crash the global economy later this year, as seems uh, uh, terrifyingly likely, um, you know, uh, come the 2024 campaign, they will blame that on Joe Biden. And that might just work because American people or voters are just that stupid. Um, so, yeah, that was my uh, my fear for this week is that this is setting up Ron DeSantis to have a very, very good next couple of years. And he is uh, for folks who don't know, he is very bad news. Yeah, he's he's like Trump, only smarter. OK, OK. So uh, abortion ruling this week in South Carolina. Yeah, this is a very big deal because it's the deep south. 
And the South Carolina Supreme Court ruled this week that um, uh, their state constitution, which has a clause that protects the right to privacy, that includes the right to an abortion. So there is now a state in the Deep South where uh, people can legally and safely get abortions, um, women specifically, or, uh, you know, uh, biological women. So um, this is a big deal because uh, pretty much every state in the Deep South has banned abortion or made abortion legal only until six weeks when many women don't know they're pregnant. Um, so uh, you're going to see South Carolina, I think, uh, either become a magnet for people seeking uh, reproductive health care um, or if um, if there are rulings like this, uh, uh you know, pursuant to lawsuits in other states, uh, that will be interesting too, um, because other states have, by and large, passed these extremely restrictive um, or outright bans on on abortion as a medical procedure. Um, so, yeah, of course, those are all Republican-dominated state legislatures, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, that was that was very good news. Uh, that kind of got buried in in the uh, tsunami of bad news that was coming out of Washington, D.C. All right. Didn't have this uh, on our list, but I saw in the news yesterday that uh, apparently there was a uh, six, uh, six-year-old uh, brought a gun to school and fired it uh, in a kindergarten. This week. Yes, this... Um uh, that was actually on Didn't my list. Just fire uh, it. He seriously, he seriously, seriously shot his teacher. Yeah, who on is purpose. now who is now in critical condition. Uh, <laughs> she is expected to survive. Um, and well, and there was it's some hope sort of that she will survive. She's in critical but stable condition. Yes, but you never know so, with yeah, a, gun, a gunshot wound. And and you know there was some kind of altercation. It's not clear what the circumstances were, but. A six-year-old bringing a loaded handgun to the classroom. Where, what parents? I mean, you know, I, I arrest the parents. That's incredibly irresponsible. Um, and, you know, traumatized the kid, uh, the teacher, obviously, and probably every other kid in the school. Um, and, you know, uh, nearly ended and may it may well end the life of the teacher. That's terrifying. Um, yeah. As I was and, saying before the show, when we talked about this topic, it's like this is a situation where one of the parents had a pistol and they kept it on their nightstand unsecured in the home. Uh, that's how these things happen. I, I just know it. And so in that case, you know, you need laws where it's like, OK, the parents can be prosecuted. Yeah. You need a law for that. If and that's how this, people are going to be be kind of casually treating their handguns, that's what society needs to do. And this, again, underscores the sickness of gun culture in this country. Mm-hmm. Just horrifying. Yeah. So that Newport News, Virginia, and we will uh, will wish for the best for uh, for the teacher and her family and all the rest of that. Mm-hmm. Alright. And finally, Ukraine. Yeah, uh, we had the, uh, Orthodox Christmas this week, which was a major holiday in Eastern Europe. And, uh, for that purpose, uh, Russia said it was going to, uh, enact a unilateral 36 hour ceasefire. Um, it didn't, of course. It continued to shell Ukrainian cities. And, um, uh, 
you know, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin, whose war this is, um, uh, shows no sign of backing down. But the Russian army uh, shows every sign of uh, disintegrating. And I I think they're going going that that uh, entire war effort is going to collapse this, uh, later this year. But uh, the question is how much destruction and how many lives will it cost before that happens? Didn't President Biden talk about sending Bradley fighting vehicles? This billions week? of billions of dollars worth of worth of equipment, including Bradley fighting vehicles. Yeah, and France is about to, uh, to send a send take a back major, territory in Ukraine. And, yeah, and France is about to send a major tranche of, of weapons for that purpose as well. So yeah, it, it's a it's a uh, you know the Ukrainian army is at least as well armed as the Russian army. That's a lot of why the war is going the way it is. Right. The, the the Western support for Ukraine has been critical. All right, with. That, I guess we're pretty much out of time for this week. Mm-hmm. We are indeed. Yep. It goes flying by. So we will talk with you both same time next week. Sounds yes, good. we will. We'll be here.